0: It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This podcast is part of the Podcast Arcade Network. Hello, I am Randy Andrews and today I've got Joshua Howell with me from Daydream Instruction Manual as we discuss Beauty and the Beast from 1991. We'll talk about the behind-the-scenes, the the editing, the animation, the music, as well as we'll talk about the live-action movie that comes out today. All coming up today on Soundtrack Alley. nice to have you on the show. I It's been a, a while since I've been able to actually establish having someone from another podcast on the
1: Arcade Network. So, greetings! Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, ever since uh, Eddie uh, kind of told me about you and your podcast, I started listening, especially with your episodes of Tim Benson. Uh, yeah, I've been wanting to come on for a while, so thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no problem. And today, we're talking about
1: Beauty and the Beast.
0: And Mm -hmm. it goes in conjunction with the release of the film today. And that's very exciting, because it'll be nice to see the differences that they do with the film, uh, the live action, and then how it compares to the animated feature. And I found just, you know, a few tidbits, interestingly with the way they used color in the film I mean for the original 1991 release that they used like Belle to be totally separate from the difference
1: of the village mm. yeah I can see that sure
0: yeah they had her, her the, beating the only one in blue
2: mm.
1: mm-hmm. and uh,
0: they had it coordinated by the art director of uh, Brian McEntry so then there's other parts of the film where there's color represented and you know you get that with animation but you see the difference in color when you first see the beast or the encounter in the forest for the first time the representatives of good versus evil and you know
1: like what are your thoughts on that? yeah sure um well i mean this was at a time when uh, disney animation was really struggling they needed a hit and you could tell that yeah they they put so much thought into every aspect of this film and and uh, yeah I, I you bringing it up i definitely can see the the way that just just the color in the animation is its own story and and just uh, supplements the the story even more yeah
0: yeah sure. and and then you know, it's been a long time since I've actually watched mm-hmm. the first movie. But one thing that always struck me as amazing, and it's to this day, I still think it's a amazing piece of storytelling. When they tell the backstory for the Beast. Oh yeah. You know, of how he became that Beast. And it's all through that stained glass mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. look. And Even though it's presented as an animated feature, you're getting this story as pieces of a stained glass image. image. I really found that to be a unique way for him to tell the story. I've always found that it improved the film dramatically by having that prologue. Otherwise, you wouldn't have any background. You wouldn't know, what's the deal? Why is there a beast in the forest? Sure. You know, you wouldn't have any backstory for that character.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I loved it. And it, it did kind of remind me of how murals tell stories and, and whatnot. And, and being the big old-style French castle that it was, it, it would make sense that they would have, you know, stories in their stained glass. and so, Yeah, I, I always loved that as a kid, too.
0: Yeah, um, and, and then when you look at, I mean, why we're here is because of the music. And you look at Howard Ashman, that, you know, he died eight months after the film was made. Yes. And it's really sad that that happened. But he put on the best work that he could possibly do. And he made sure things were correct and right. And they were the last, I mean, these songs were the last complete works for Howard Ashman. And he even received an Academy Award for it even though by the time they presented it 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 was dead right but and then the film was dedicated to howard ashman so it truly was interesting how first it was like the start of disney's second golden age correct and so they had done the little mermaid first Mm -hmm. and then they made Beauty and the beast and onward with aladdin and the lion king and I think those four really stand out as kind of their peak of their second age of animation. Oh, I believe so, yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, well, um, I think we were really lucky to have Ashman involved in this project, because originally he didn't want to be. He was working on Aladdin, and he he was dying from AIDS, and he wrote the most of the lyrics on his deathbed not to mention they had to accommodate him he just wasn't healthy enough to go out to California so they were flying from California to his home on the other side of the country a lot of the times to collaborate with him on this and so yeah it's it's incredibly sad that we we lost him and and that he wasn't able to uh, you know see how how amazing this film ended up turning out and and uh the reception for it but uh yeah his his lyrics it it wouldn't have been the same without him and of course it's not just lyrics it's also the score but yeah with
0: uh, alan menken yes Mm -hmm. he he did an amazing job with just hearing the instrumental Mm -hmm. parts of the music and having that like the expanded score that's what it really brings out is you not only get the lyrics but you also get the second piece that is the same song, but it's just the lyrics, just the instrumental part, and it adds something to it because you pay more attention to how Alan Menken weaved this orchestral feel to the film, and you get these beautiful flutes and uh, different harps and violins, and it makes you really feel for the character. And, uh, I thought it was interesting with just, you know, the animation in general and how they got, like, the beast and the look of the beast, that it was more of, like, a hybrid that they mixed all these different animals in. And you could t- tell, yep. you know, when you're watching it, oh, there, there's kind of, like, a, a buffalo and there's a lion there and a... a a gorilla and a wild boar and a tail of a wolf and you know bulky body of a bear and you know these were things that really made it stand out what do you think of like how robbie benson
1: added to that character um yeah um i i loved how it, it is more a combination of things there there's a neat little uh segment on youtube you can of them talking about it on like Good Morning America and uh, all the things that they uh, did to to make that look more grounded you know it wasn't like too it wasn't like a too much of a fantasy monster or too alien like it did look like a, a, a beast in the forest and a combination of things and, and it just felt more natural
0: oh yeah and for sure like the way even you know with the voice and how they come combined like Mm -hmm. a panther and i think it was a lion i can't remember yeah it was a panther and a lion that they used Mm -hmm. and it was almost virtually unrecognizable to separate the two sure like they were almost similar uh in the main roar or whatever Mm -hmm. scary Um, roar yeah yeah exactly felt it (laughs) yeah I found it really interesting. I know we're skipping ahead to the end of the film, but one of the key pieces of animation that really harkens back to an earlier time was the smoke at mm. the end of the transformation. Sure. That smoke was actually real. It wasn't- Oh, really? It wasn't animated. Oh, it wow. was real smoke. And they had used that same technique in The Black Cauldron. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so they had used, like, real smoke, and they actually, like, I looked up information on The Black Cauldron, and they used dry ice as well well Sure. to add to the film to make it look and feel Mm -hmm. more realistic in a way. Wow. And, I mean, it added quite a bit to that main one scene of you know the uh
1: the transformation i never knew that I, I love finding all the tricks they used to do back then you know compared to cgi and, and all yeah. the tools they have now but the things they used to do back then that's incredible that's really cool
0: yeah and speaking of cgi this was one of the first animated features that they used 3d rendering Mm -hmm. for with that ballroom scene right right. Uh, my wife thought it was some other scene in the movie that they had done that or actually she had even thought that it was just animation and i'm like no they used computer in that scene along with the animation that they used for them dancing right and then with them dancing it made me laugh because disney had Superimposed the dance from Sleeping Beauty yep, yep. as the exact dance that they they made them
1: do, mm-hmm. so that way they could render it properly with that ballroom. Yeah, they've done that a few times with their old, with their old uh, animations. Obviously, they changed the way the figures look, but it's the same. It's the same dance and everything. Yeah, that makes sense that they would do that in order to make the render right. Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah, cool. mm-hmm. I thought that was a, kind of a neat.
1: Yeah.
0: uh, To add to another piece in regard to that. Since the movie actually comes out today, there's a a piece of information on the internet that shows that the grand piano that will be in the scene in the movie Mm -hmm. is actually a character in the movie.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: And it, I mean, it's not in the animated feature, but it's interesting that they use a character... To actually play, yeah, the music, yeah, for that's kind of neat. I uh, like that. Yeah, (laughs) I thought that was kind of cool. Um, you know, when we think about like storyboards, do you think there's a there was a probably a huge difference between the storyboards that they use and then the actual final cut
1: for the film? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, the thing is. Exact, but uh, uh, from the ones I've seen, I mean, they, they were pretty darn close, you know. I think they put a lot of work into into the storyboards because they, they knew they needed a, a hit. And may, maybe there were ones that I missed, but the ones that I saw were pretty, pretty spot on. And I, I love the final rendering of everything. I mean, it, it's just gorgeous.
0: Yeah, I, I looked it up and they said the movie used 1,295 painted backgrounds. Wow. And 120,000 drawings. So, I mean, they really put a lot into that. And you get that feel with the movie and you see the different backgrounds. And even with the village, like when they have Belle, you know, walking through the town and you look to the background and you see the the village or you see the hillside behind the village. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's a lot of work to put into just like one piece of animation.
1: Yeah, there's so much going on in every frame of this movie. Yeah. yeah. And then in then going back to the castle, I mean, they had to make it grand, you know, and every every scene whether it's inside or outside the the castle, you really felt like this was a amazing piece of architecture. And I remember one of my favorite things was when when they are dancing in that ballroom and you look up to the uh the mural on the ceiling and you see like the angels like you know moving between clouds and watching i always thought that was amazing and and just really kind of something special you know that really added to the grandeur of the whole thing oh yeah definitely
0: i really thought it was interesting that in the original fairy tale of beauty and the beast um that bell wasn't an only child yeah. that she actually had siblings but in the movie, you get that she's an only child of this kind of crazy man,
2: <laughs> Sure.
0: <laughs> a crazy inventor, I should say. And um, it was it, the idea in the original story was that she was very similar to uh, Cinderella, having the three, <laughs> three mm-hmm. evil stepsisters. And it's like, well, let's
1: not use that. Yeah, let's well. yeah. not carbon copy that course. Well obviously they changed a lot of things. And oh yeah. Disney, you know, had to make it some things more appropriate for, you know, the children audiences and a lot of these fairy tales were not fairy. Well at least for American children. They yeah, they were told the children in Europe all the time and horrible stories. But <laughs> uh but yeah, they had to they had to uh water it down
2: a little bit, but I, I really it,
0: Yeah. Um what do you think about some of the symbolism that's in the movie? not really like the ideas behind it the uh the principles the uh morals behind the film that you get the the idea that it's more than just a children's movie like mm-hmm. more than just for kids but adults can get greater themes out of this movie than just children enjoying watching it
1: what do sure. you think um uh, well i mean uh one of the ones that always struck me was was just Bella's character in general she was always she always struck me as more of a stronger female character than some of the other animated films i remember growing up you know she had the the tough gentle or the tough big you know handsome guy in town going after her and she was not interested at all she was always pursuing knowledge and reading things and curious about things and um, so just just that theme of a, of a strong independent female character I always thought was, was impressive and not something I saw a lot
2: as a kid.
0: Yeah, um, one of the things I looked up was that it talked about one of the symbolic things in the film was when they would see her reading, it was like a sign of, like you said, like she was super smart, she was very intelligent. And then that had never been shown In a Disney princess before They had always kind of Just been there Mm
2: -hmm. You
0: know they they did their Part as being the princess And they didn't really They weren't really strong or they didn't Really push forward I mean They they had Ariel In the Little Mermaid that had this Determination and curiosity To seek out yeah curiosity Mm -hmm. But with Belle they pushed it a little Farther Mm -hmm. to show hey There are smart women out there She's one of them. And and then noting that it's a subtle hint to the message, don't judge a book by its cover. And that was the same with the Beast. Because for many years, he had been a uh, Beast, and then he was changed to know um, Belle, and it totally changed him. And when we look at the Beast, you know, we, we find that there's so much that wasn't told like you saw like the emotion behind his uh his looks or you know how he would react to things and he had been transformed as a beast for 11 years Mm -hmm. so he was almost 21 and so he was very soon to be cursed to be a beast for the entire time that was you know really something did you know there was a hidden few hidden Mickeys.
1: Uh, (laughs) I've I've heard of this, but I've never actually seen them.
0: Well, I'm going to point them out. Okay. After Gaston and the men chop down the tree, there's droplets, three droplets of water that form an upside down classic Mm -hmm. Mickey. Yeah. Um, Also, there's a trio of stones by the roots left uh, of the cottage at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, it forms an upside down vision of the symbol. Sure. And then during the human again sequence, Cogsworth is outside inspecting shovels uh, when a heap of ashes is dumped on him from above. And three circles appear um, in the snow on the left side to show another Mickey head. So that was kind of unique. Putting the Disney stamp on it, uh, much like what Steven Spielberg would do With his films, when he was working with George Lucas, primarily, like, on my episodes of Close Encounters Mm -hmm. and Raiders of the Lost Ark, you find that in Close Encounters, there's an Mm R2-D2.
2: And
0: in Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's also a 3PO and R2-D2. Right. So, you know, uh, these, these companies, they like to generate these little hidden Easter eggs that was put into... Uh, the original film. So what do you think of, like, the character or the voice of
1: Belle? I remember, uh, I, I loved it. I just thought she, she was, um, she was that perfect balance of innocence but strength, you know? I remember just growing up, just, I I was obviously really young when this came out, and, uh, I just loved it. I- I, uh, like I'd seen other ones you know like Snow White the seven doors and sleeping Beauty obviously and I just I just never really connected I just thought okay that's the voice they went with Ariel was really great but uh, you didn't hear her voice much of the film because she was you know mute on purpose and whatnot but I did I just loved her voice I thought she fit perfectly and and she was it was a very uh, balance of like I said innocence and strength and determination and yeah and and all of that yeah
0: yeah and then hey Jo hara Mm -hmm. she's recently even done the voice for Belle in recent like animated films and she's like in her 60s Mm -hmm.
2: and she still got it she she still still has it
0: it's just amazing it's like what Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you know these voice actors they do a really good job holding on to like maybe one voice that they know and can be able to do so much and it's just astounding you know even her singing and you know everything that she does in the film you you get like this genuine quality of realness Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and it's it's really amazing and then of course we we look at uh the academy award that it was nominated for best motion picture of the year and it was It became the first movie musical to be nominated since All That Jazz Mm -hmm. back in 1979. And then the last one until Moulin Rouge in 2001. And I know on Daydream Instruction Manual, you uh, talked about Moulin Rouge. Yeah, Eddie loves that movie. I I love it too. My wife and I, we we both enjoy that movie for uh, the music and... the the visual imagery that is in it it's just fantastic but when you think about typical 18th century town how do you think would you want to live in the town that Belle was
1: in i mean yeah i'd like to live in the disney version of the town you know (laughs) i think uh any time i see these uh these old films or, or things about that time it's it's always like, oh, you know, simpler times. I'd love it, but then you remember things like lack of plumbing and stuff like that. But heck, yeah! I mean, I'd love to uh, be in a pub and drinking all that beer and breaking out in song all the time. That'd be that'd be amazing for me. <laughs> I would love it.
0: <laughs> I thought it was interesting. This is this was the second animated feature to use the Caps, which is the computer animation production system entirely that they use digital ink paint animation and the camera process and then the next time they used it was the rescuers down under Mm -hmm. so at some point i want to talk about that movie on the podcast so i thought it was interesting also you know you think about different actors that were uh, asked to be part of the movie as voice actors. Sure. And Ian McKellen was originally supposed to be Cogsworth. hmm And he had turned it down, and I don't remember what he was doing at the time. He probably was doing something on Broadway. Sure. He actually is the voice of Cogsworth in the live action. Yeah. So I thought that was actually that is pretty me. cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Learned his lesson. Yeah. <laughs> Came back. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, another thing that
0: gets me is, like, the... Uh, the paintings in the castle,
2: mm-hmm. a
0: lot of them are, I guess, muddied down versions of um, Rembrandt's
2: mm-hmm.
0: and really, you know, like influential painters. Sure. Yeah. In fact, the room where the servants talk outside Belle's bedroom door in the background, the painting is the girl with the pearl hair. Mm. And so, you know, there's there's very consistent classic paintings that are in the film, and you would never really pay attention to it unless you watched it. Tons sure. of time to really look at the different visualization of uh, different things in the, the rooms and really impressive to me.
1: Well, it, it just harkens back to how much work was put into this film. I mean, obviously there's a lot of work put into modern films, but you have tools that make it a little easier, you know, and uh, the fact that this that this was nominated for Best Picture, Best Picture, like when's that's the la- a big yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Oscars, uh, you know, uh, just happened, and uh, and it was a great amount of films. But you would not imagine an animated film being in the Best Picture category. It's yeah. just a weird thing. Yeah. And when you're talking about all these things and every all the small things that they put back then were. You know, Pixar does it now, but they just kind of throw them in. And you're, you expect it mm-hmm. when you when you really you know break down and dissect Beauty and the Beast. It's just it's amazing. It was certainly deserving in that nomination. Yeah,
0: and they actually you know took the time to think about like the history behind like what they were trying to do. Sure. Like you know having the historical paintings, for mm-hmm. instance. Sure. I mean that's pretty cool to you know make it try to seem as time sensitive as possible yeah authentic yeah authentic that's the word yeah it makes you feel more like it's it's more relevant um i thought it was interesting too that you know when we come down to the action sequence of the battle on the tower Mm -hmm. um originally the beast was supposed to be stabbed twice he was only stabbed once um, by Gaston. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> with Gaston, it makes you really hate this character. <laughs> they make you hate him tremendously because he's he's so arrogant and sure. villainous. And it's like, would somebody really be that bad?
1: Well, I, I mean, I remember thinking about this oddly when I was a kid. Like, if, if we didn't get the backstory of Gaston and see how much of a womanizer and, and how much of a kind of a just general all-around just you know bad guy i'll I'll use my nice words to describe him uh if we didn't get that and he was just this guy that thought he was freeing a a girl from this monster you wouldn't hate him as much as you do because you know in the rain and the lightning the beast is scary man i mean i would have stabbed him more than once yeah (laughs) but uh Uh, But yeah, you know who Gaston is, and and they set him up perfectly, even though he is the, you know, the picturesque uh, hero of most stories. Yeah, he's not. He's not the hero. Mm -hmm. And I thought it kind of
0: frightening, because originally when I saw the movie and you see him fall from the tower, you see two skulls in his eyes. Mm -hmm. And then when they brought it out to VHS and laserdisc. They had removed it and then they brought it back in when -hmm. they put it back to dvd and uh blu-ray so (laughs) they put it back in and it made it you know more terrifying in a way i think it's good that we get to the point of being able to talk about the musical score for even like the beast death scene Mm -hmm. the original uh which was part of the transformation piece was considered too happy so Mencken had changed it Mm -hmm. to make it more like filling you with awe sure sure so you know we get that with that very piece and you know Belle you know she had become the beast prisoner we have the idea of Stockholm syndrome
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes I mean
0: it's you know sure it's a fairy tale and it's supposed to be a really good story, but it's like essentially it was Sakram syndrome that caused her to love him.
1: Sure, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, what are your thoughts? Uh yeah. I mean, you look at a lot of uh, old style kids' films and you could probably associate things like that with him and you know, I mean it was a it was it was a part of a different time, you know. Uh that you know her her father trespassed And she sacrificed her life for his and willingly did so and knowing the consequences. And so she was being honorable and, and, you know, it's not just, just Stockholm syndrome. She did have these characters that were kind of filling her in on what's going on here. Yeah. You know, and
0: she had the information. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't
1: like, it's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah, but it. I mean, but when it is you overanalyze,
0: it, you know. When you overanalyze like, it, oh, right? My goodness. Keyword. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the problem there. Yep. Well, I'd like to get us into the music. Yep. Um that's why we're here today. First what we're going to hear is the prologue and the sequence of Bell. Now, we're just going to hear the instrumental version of Bell. And um I think Alan Menken is absolutely brilliant with his scoring for this film. And he has this unique way of bringing out different parts of the orchestra together, um, bringing us the story in the music.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And it really reminds me of what John Williams does, is he can, Alan Menken was able to, I mean, he still is. He's able to tell a story through the music. yes, And um, it can really, you know, bring you closer to the characters mm. as you hear these different pieces uh what do you think about it
1: um yeah i think uh it's a huge difference from the animated films back then to now i believe now they're just the, the some of them do have scores but most of the time anything that's uh, not a song is just written to mimic a song you know and like the uh the lyrics and and whatever pop single they can get out of it is the, is the driving point of of any of the music in the film. And and whereas Beauty and the Beast was very much, uh, Alan's work, uh, stood alone, you know? And, uh, I, I remember he did mention in, in one interview that he thought that generally the story was written to be very, uh, stages musical, uh, already. And so he just, uh, he wrote the music to to uh, to match the story, and uh, then later on they they applied the lyrics and whatnot. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm so glad that the music is as strong as it is because that's just the the that score is so strong, and and that's kind of what's missing nowadays. So it's yeah. nice to go back and listen to
0: it. Yeah. So now we'll play the prologue and bell from the expanded score. So next, I'd like to take us forward, and we find the story with Belle is fleeing from the castle, which the the Beast had told her to get out, and so she ran into the woods, she's confronted by wolves, and this action cue, it really is astoundingly highly energetic. Mm -hmm. It gives us even the darker tone of what the Beast is capable of, but it also shows the heroicness. Of the beast. That he doesn't want her to die.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I'd like to take us through. Some of those cues. Afterward. As Belle takes care. Of the beast. And we hear Beauty and the Beast. As the cue. um, In the scoring only. Because Alan Menken brings. Us his flair. Of a true fantasy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really good to note. Because when you look at. The original fairy tales, they're not so happy. (laughs) Right. And there's this tone of, you know, somewhat darkness that exists behind some of the lighter moments. And to show life's not always completely happy.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So uh what do you think of the you know those pieces of music
1: yeah I, uh, I i i thought it was uh it certainly matched the part of the film you know uh he had ejected her from the castle and it's kind of a, in a scary fashion and and um you know it, you, you might have expected some kind of happy music because she's she's she can leave you know mm-hmm. she's running out she's going home and that's not the case and no. and uh, she realizes there's there's just as much if not more frightening things in the world than there is there and, and um uh, and uh when when the beast comes in to save her you you do the, the the tone of the score does change and you do feel a side of them that you you haven't yet felt in that film and and uh i yeah it's a, it's a great sequence in in the score and and in the animation and it just matches it perfectly yeah
0: So now we'll play these different pieces. Uh, I like to break them down just so that way my listeners can know which pieces I'm actually playing. Sure. Um, We've got the West Wing wolf attack. Then we have helping the beast. Then a three-piece cue of Belle tending to the beast's wounds, Um, Gaston's plot, and Maurice goes for Belle. And then finally, in this set of cues, we're going to play Beauty and the Beast for the instrumental part. So these last cues I'd like to play is a high energetic action cue for the battle on the tower and the death of the beast. Now, this is an early version that it actually is longer than what we get in the film. And I think that's really unique to look back and see not necessarily some of the rejected uh, pieces of music that Alan Manchin couldn't use. But it was set aside, maybe for a later release of the score. I found that really unique. And then we get transformation and the end credits. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think about these? How do you think with seeing the the visuals of the action that takes place on top of the tower and uh, everything happening so fast? What do you think about
1: that? Uh, Yeah, I... I loved it, and I, and I do love the extended parts. It, it definitely feels like uh, like Alan was putting a lot of passion into this when he was scoring it. It wasn't just, you know, finding the music for these frames and that's it. You know, he, he really put out his heart into this, and there were things like uh, Human Again wasn't in the original, but they brought it back later. Uh, so uh, I, I love hearing the extended parts, but then what you're talking about with the... Uh, the attack and everything um i i loved this it was it was what the, what the film was building up to you know the subplot that was really coming about and and uh you as a as a as a kid i was worried you know the whole time because uh here bell is falling in love with a beast and then on the side note you got this village that's just gearing up to bring war to the castle and and uh yeah it's cool to see all these pieces of furniture take out these people <laughs> yeah. but at the same time you're worried for them you know like these people have axes and you have drawers for for your belly and stuff like that you know so um uh but yeah I thought that the music certainly kept up with the momentum um but definitely kept you on edge because there was a, a strong sense of of urgency and, and worry and not really sure how this is going to end and, and uh, really fearing for the characters.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, I I really appreciate uh, your input. You know, uh, knowing that Beauty and the Beast is, is such a beloved, looked back on movie that is from, say, our childhood that we know of. And it's visually stunning. I mean, it just really is... An amazing piece of animation and we get you know a different type now we get the computer animation and it's far different you don't i mean you get you know some really vivid colors and things like that but back when they were just able to do animation in general you had to really focus on like the shading and just the the visualness of uh, the characters and how they were displayed. And it's just really fascinating to look back on that piece of work. So I really thank you for being with me today on uh,
1: Soundtrack Alley.
0: I've really enjoyed your insight and I hope to have you on the show again.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's been a
0: pleasure for sure. Yeah. And so um, you can follow uh josh on daydream instruction manual you probably have a new show coming up on sunday right
1: yes we do every sunday we try to put it out yep
0: all right so you'll be able to enjoy that and you can find my show on itunes and soundtrackalley.podbean.com and uh so like to have you enjoy these last set of cues and happy listening Thank you. listening to soundtrack alley the podcast i hope you take some time to review my podcast on itunes and also listen to it on podbean and if you leave a review or rating on there it'll help us get noticed on itunes thank you so much have a good day Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at SoundtrackAlley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at SoundtrackAlley.com.